Hello, this is the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church in Glenpool, Oklahoma. I'm Pastor Mike Branch, and I hope you're encouraged by the message from God's Word today. I'm excited about this particular series because it's so, um, I think it's so important for the body of Christ to understand where we are right now uh, in this day and age, okay? And, uh, and I've called it the Mask of the Beast, and, and you'll understand a little bit later why that is what I entitled it. Um, it's my hope that through this study, um, I can lay a biblical foundation first, so you understand kind of, um, as I lay the foundation of truth, you understand as we build the stuff that we'll be talking about over the next several weeks, uh, you will understand more clearly how it all works together. You're going to get this bird's eye view of not only scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but also um, what the enemy is up to in our world. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, there are a few things that I, that I need to address as we begin to kind of build this case for what Scripture tells us will happen in the future, okay? Kind of recognizing the times and, and the things that are happening now, but also what does the Bible say is going to happen, okay? And, and then understand the signs. As we see the signs of the times unfolding around us, we'll understand that as well. But you're going to need to understand something. As a Christian, it's amazing to me that I do need to repeat this fairly often, but reality and existence is much more complex than just our experience today, what we know life to be today, okay? And, and what people think as a whole in this world. There's more to reality than just a physical dimension. You would think that's a no-brainer for a Christian. But, uh, but we live so much in the here and now that we forget too often that there is a spiritual world around us and, and uh, there are things happening around us. There's, there's a motion. There's, there's a, um, a, a destination that man wishes to go, that the enemy wishes to go, and ultimately what God is going to do, okay? We believe in a, in a spiritual, eternal dimension. And we believe that the circumstances in reality right now in this earth have been quite different in the past. So if you lived... Before the flood, right, Noah and everyone who lived before the flood, their reality, not just, you know, like Stone Age stuff, okay, their reality, their, their existence was much different than ours today. And we understand that in the future, after uh, Christ raptures his, his church, we understand that in the future, there's going to be a new reality after that point. So it would be making a mistake if we believed that us paying our taxes and driving our kids to school, and all of the things that we're involved in today, that that is actual reality. Reality is of an eternal nature, of a spiritual nature. That's what's real, and that's what we have to constantly remind ourselves of, okay? Um, there's a word called epistemology. What is epistemology? Well, you'll, you'll hear it talked about these days. Uh, epistemology it, you're probably thinking, why in the world is he using a word over three syllables? Well, every once in a while, I pick up a dictionary, all right? And what this, words, this word means is it's the process by which uh, we derive our truth. So what is our worldview? What is the foundation for what we believe to be truth? Where do we as Christ followers derive our truth? That should be a really simple answer for every believer. That's the word of God, amen? So... 
Again, that's a no-brainer. We have a biblical worldview. Our truth is based within what the Bible says, and that's how we base all of our beliefs and our decisions and all of that is because we have a biblical worldview. Not only that, but once we accept that truth and once that's settled, then the Bible says we have to know how to properly interpret Scripture. This is one of the main areas that I find today is... is uh, pastors and churches are falling short is simply um, what you would call a proper hermeneutic, how you approach scripture and how you interpret scripture. And I believe it is my personal conviction that if every pastor, every believer approached scripture with the proper hermeneutic or how you interpret scripture, then there would be far fewer different denominations in things that we believe because the Bible is pretty is pretty um, clear about so many things. The, the problem is that we start to uh, inject our own opinions and our own thoughts and our own outside um, you know, theories and speculations onto Scripture, and that's where we go awry. But in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, 2 Timothy 2, 15, God's Word says this. Paul is instructing Timothy. And he gives him this charge, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needs not be ashamed. Why? Why, why is he not ashamed? Because he rightly divides the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly dividing in its original text. It actually means to make a straight cut or to dissect correctly as if you're taking a scalpel and you are correctly devising, uh, if you were going in for surgery, you would want your surgeon to know how to rightly divide. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? So same thing with God's Word. We don't just throw everything in together and, and interpret it as if we can go to the Old Testament and all of that applies directly to us. That's not how Scripture works. If you get that wrong, then you're in for a lot of confusion. And unfortunately, um, as I said before, the state of the church today operates on a lot of confusion and regurgitated truth and speculation from uh, pastors and teachers who have twisted things around. Um, have you guys ever heard of the poem "To a Mouse"? To a mouse, it's uh, there's a there's a term that comes from that. It's it's uh, best laid plans of mice and men. Have you ever heard that saying? All right, thought you might be familiar with that. He wrote it in 1785, Robert Burns wrote it in 1785, and what happened was he accidentally destroyed a mouse's nest with his plow, okay? And he looks down and realized, man, these mice went to such trouble to basically uh, create this entire reality that they existed in, and here I come with my big plow, and I overturn everything that they've worked for. Their reality is now upside down. They realize now they're much smaller and insignificant than they thought they were, right? And that's what he said, best laid plans of mice and men. You and I, we lay our plans. We think that this is our reality, but ultimately there's a reality that we will face when we step from this life into the next life, okay? Um, I would say that the place that I want to start this study is in understanding the divisions of Scripture so that you and I can have a proper context upon which to build this, this truth that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks as we try to understand the times and the forces kind of behind what's happening right now. Let's start with the idea of bless, uh, best laid plans. 
There are three different plans at work in our reality, the reality that we know right now. That's God's plan, man's plan, and Satan's plan. God's plan, man's plan, and Satan's plan. So let's first start by looking at God's plan. First, you have to understand that God is sovereign king, and he will accomplish all that he wills. There's nothing that can thwart the plan of God. Amen? He's God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is outside of time. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 10. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10. Remember this. This is God speaking through the prophet. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. So remember the things I've done in the past. Okay? This is God saying this. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. He's establishing his otherness. Don't ever step over into the otherness of God. Don't ever think or assume that you can do what God does or that you can think the way God thinks because I am someone so much higher and greater than you could ever imagine. Verse 10, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which not have yet been done. Okay, that's important to understand. This is a God who lives outside of time. This is a God who looks at time itself and sees the end of the story before the beginning. He knows exactly how it's all going to play out. He knows the day I'll take my final breath. He knows every decision I will make along the way. That's how God can make a promise that whatever happens, I can flip it on its head for good. No matter what terrible things that might come your way, God will turn it around for good for those who love him. That's an incredible promise. And we can lay our head down on our pillow at night peacefully knowing that a God who loves us, a sovereign God, no matter what we face, as Jesus says, you will have troubles in this life. But look, our hope is in, is in the eternal and what's coming ahead. And uh, what a wonderful thing. And then he, he finishes the, off this statement by saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. He will do what he says he's going to do. There's nothing that can stop him, nothing that can thwart him. Do not ever believe that Satan is the enemy of God. Satan is not the enemy of God. Satan can't hold a candle to God. Satan is the enemy of the saints. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He, can't, he cannot touch God. If God wanted to, he could snap his fingers. Now, that's, that's a whole other sermon, okay? And we're going to get into that later on because it's important that you understand who he is and how he works and the fact that he's just a pawn in the great scheme, uh, God's great plan, okay? And that he's working and scheming himself. Uh, but we can break it down into these divisions, okay? This, for me, has helped a lot because it allows me to look at Scripture in a nutshell and see from Genesis to Revelation exactly what's going on. And I can place myself almost like a you are here on the map, right? At Disney World or Six Flags or wherever, you know right where you are. So here's how it works. Creation. Corruption, redemption, and restoration. Each are followed by a period of time in which the former reality is, has been changed, flipped on its head, and we live in a new reality. There's been a lot of confusion about these shifts over the years because what happens is we'll take something that was uh, a truth in God's word for the Jewish people in the time of corruption, right? But now we've been redeemed. Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected from the dead. Some of the things the Bible says to the Jews in the Old Testament don't apply to us because we are under the blood now, okay? So you have to understand how to rightly divide these things. 
And we're going to revisit all of those in the future. But right now, let me quickly break it down for you. Creation is the reality in the garden. Okay, think back to creation. When creation was pristine, I used to believe creation was perfect. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect because it was not impervious to evil. The, the, the enemy, Satan, still schemed his way into the garden and, and, and caused Adam and Eve uh, through temptation. He caused them to fall, okay? So next thing is corruption. This was when uh, first Satan's fall was the first sin, the original sin, and then Satan uh, caused all of mankind to fall, resulting in the consequences of broken creation. Everything that we see in our world right now, uh, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, all this stuff, uh, cancer, sickness, disease, all of these things are a result of the fall, okay? And uh, it's, it's important to understand that. These consequences, the Bible tells us, affected creation itself. There is great turmoil within the earth. And it, it, between the flood and 100 years after the flood, this earth was just completely uh, in ruin, okay? And only one family survived that entire cataclysmic event, all right? Um, what we need to understand is that the things that we deal with, they will too come to an end. That, that there is a time when God is, uh, read Romans chapter 8, when God will redeem all of creation on behalf of mankind in order to set his plan uh, for future and for eternity. So how did the fall affect human beings, you and I? Well, we were made as a triune being just like God is. We were made in his image. And he's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or the Father, and before he was born as Jesus, he was called the Word, uh, the Word made flesh. Okay, so we too are a triune being. We are spirit, we're soul, and we're body, okay? Um, And so that affected the spirit, soul, and body. It also affected human governance, man's ability to rule in righteousness. Man's ability to rule in righteousness, that disappeared. It's not possible now. And then, of course, let's move on to redemption. Redemption is Christ's atoning work. Each area of fallenness will be redeemed partially now in this age, what we call the age of grace, and later in its fullness at the time of restoration. So when Christ returns to renew all things. As far as man is concerned, the image of God will be restored. And we get kind of confused in this theology here in the body of Christ. Um, John 1 or 1 John 3, 2, 1 John 3, 2 says, when we see him, we shall be like him. We're going to be transformed once again into a perfect representation of the image of God when we see Jesus. So the moment you see him, you will be changed. Now, remember that the kingdom, the or you could say eternity, is both now, because we have some of it now, and it's not yet because there are, uh, its fulfillment will be in the future, okay? So let's talk really quickly about you and how you're made up in the image of God. First, there's the redemption of the Spirit, and we have that right now. Paul describes that as the first fruits of the Spirit. When you accept Christ, He quickens your spirit. You are now in relationship with God the Father again. It's impossible without first entering through the gate, which is Jesus Christ. When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you give your life to Him, then immediately He quickens your spirit. Your spirit is now made new, reconciled to God. Now, secondly, your soul, this is a daily issue. Every day we wake up. What does Paul say? He says we're waging war. 
our, our mind, our, our will, our emotions. That's the seat of the soul. And how do we redeem the soul? Through the process of, we don't, he does, through the process of sanctification. Okay, so every single day we fight this battle, but the best way to fight the battle is not do it on your own. You have to give yourself over to the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to transform you in the power of God, not in your own strength. In our weakness, he is strong. So stop trying to be holy yourself. Just submit to the Lord and the truth of the word and allow the Holy Spirit to transform you to be in Christ's image, okay? So that's the second thing. That's the soul. Now, the future hope of our dying body, and let me just say, I know mine's dying. I, I, I know it every day when I step out of bed. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, and the process, I got, that was, well, that's the best response I've gotten all morning. But the process is glorification. This is the perfect eternal body that you will receive at resurrection. And as I said before, it's going to reflect the, the glory of God himself, the image of Christ himself. And it's going to be an amazing thing. Now, moving on to the last part of our, um, of our nutshell here of God's plan is restoration. Human governance will be redeemed as the son of man. When, when God placed Adam on the earth, Adam and Eve, he gave him authority Okay, he was the um, administrative and he was the administrator. He acted on God's behalf on this earth and God gave him all authority. Well, he blew it and, and all this stuff was lost and broken. So the purpose now of God is to restore all things just like they were before the fall. But the first thing that has to happen is since Adam as a man failed, Christ has to return as the son of man and rule and reign on this physical earth for a thousand years and put all enemies under his feet. He has to essentially rule as the God-man, but mainly in the office of man to replace what Adam lost. And then after that, it switches over to a new reality where he lays down his kingship as a man and he picks up his kingship as God and he restores all things and we move into eternity as all things are being made new. So again, a literal 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. At the end of that reign, all creation is going to melt with a fervent heat, the Bible says. That, that's global warming, by the way. That's when, uh, get it, all the, everything melts. Okay, just making sure you're still with me. Okay, so, so this, this implosion that takes place and God remakes the whole earth just like it was probably before the flood and, and into this eternal state, this new uh, existence where God himself and Christ Jesus will live and dwell among us forever and ever and ever. And there will be no sorrow or sickness, or pain, and no more death. There will be no more loss. And that is forever and ever and ever outside of the, the bounds of time. Amen? Okay, so that's the plan in a nutshell. That's God's plan. Now, what's man's plan? What is man's plan? Well, <laughs> it's not much of a plan. It's based solely on instant gratification. That's you and I. That's the way we're uh, wired, is we want it, and we want it now, Okay? Uh, so whatever's going to bring us glory, whatever's going to be, uh, bring us power or prestige, uh, or simply very simply just to be comfortable. Okay. Gratification to be attained within your lifetime. I'm only going to live this period of time and I want to get all the toys I can get and, 
you know, before I die, right? That's man's plan. In Genesis 3, 6, uh, it says this, Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right? Hey, I, I'm hungry. I want to eat, or it looks good. I can eat that, okay? And it was a delight to the eyes. It looks good, which uh, incidentally was the same exact thing that the Bible says that King David did when he was supposed to be off at war and instead was at home and he walked out on his roof and he looked over to the, to the roof below and he saw Bathsheba taking a, a bath and he said that she looked good and he took it. Well, that's the exact same thing that, that Eve did. It looked good, she could eat it and so she took it, okay? Same thing. Uh, it was a delight to the eyes. The tree was desirable to make one wise. That's the other thing that we as humans try to do. We want to be smart and we want to be uh, intelligent and wise and we don't want to give God the credit, right? We want it to be all about us, all right? And so that's essentially the three things that man kind of hinges on. Next, we have Satan's plan. And this is what this whole study is going to be about, is uh, Satan's plan. And his plan is to derail, destroy, and deceive as many human beings as he possibly can in the time that he has left, okay? He wants to get mankind to curse the name of God, to blaspheme the purpose of God. And so when he can get someone off purpose, when he can get them off track and away from the purpose that God created them for, then he has... Uh, he's had a victory in that person's life, okay? He wants to convince, convince them to reject God's love and to choose darkness over light. And make no mistake, that's exactly what's happening, is when they choose, uh, when they choose to reject Christ, they are choosing darkness. Jesus said to Nicodemus, they are choosing darkness over light because they love the darkness more than the light. That's a, that is a tragic thought when you stop and think about it. They give themselves over to wickedness. They declare themselves as God when they ignore their need of him because they are in control of their own lives. And make no mistake, man in his fallenness naturally slides towards the edge of the cliff, but Satan is here to push him over the edge if he, if he can at all, okay? To, to get man to destroy themselves in hatred, division, and bloodshed. Uh, is there any doubt that Hitler himself was, was uh, driven by a satanic hatred of, of people and anybody different than, than him? And he had this idea for globalism and a master race. That was a satanic uh, thought process. And I'm, my, my goal is to show you that the things around us happening today are being driven by that exact same satanic process of thinking, okay? Here's the hard part. You have to keep in mind that the enemy disguises himself as a messenger of truth and light. The deception sounds so good. It sounds right and it plays on our emotions. It disguises itself as love. It claims to be love when it's actually satanically inspired hatred. Why? Because you are, you are enabling someone to walk a path of sinfulness and brokenness, telling them that you love them when the ultimate end will be eternal destruction. Instead of telling them the truth, you love yourself too much to even consider losing that friend over um, the truth, right? There was a song that I loved when I was younger, and one of the lyrics was, uh, the, I love you so much that I would risk 
losing you, losing your friendship just to tell you what's true. And that should be the believer's mindset and the believer's heart is that we love all people and we're going to treat all people with respect. But when you choose to walk a certain path in life and rejecting God and loving the darkness, when you choose that, then, uh, by the way, I love the kids and they're not a distraction to me and we're not going to be a church where they're a distraction to us either, okay? So uh, I love it. You just keep bringing them and, uh, and, and we love that. So, um, you know, again, it disguises itself as love and it also, in a very, um, in a very innocent way, they'll say, oh, no, no, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. It's very interesting to note that that's also Satan's approach, that he just asks questions, right? And, and, it, and he just plants the seed of doubt, and then he follows it up with a statement of his own that is contrary to what God has said. Look at Genesis 3.1. Genesis 3.1. Let me just say this too. I'm going to go until I'm finished. If you guys get finished before me, it won't hurt my feelings if you need to leave and go somewhere. All right, so we should finish up around 5.30 or so. so. <laughs> All right, Genesis 3.1. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field in which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? He started with a question. That's what God said. Are you sure that's what God said? See, he masks the truth with a lie, often in the form of a question. Eve responded, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. God has said, but what does the serpent say? Oh, you surely will not die. So he starts with a question, an innocent question, and then follows it up with a statement contrary to what God has said. These are the lies that deceive us. Satan's involvement in the affairs of men throughout human history. And that's what I'm referring to in this series as the mask of the beast. God said this, but the enemy is saying this. Who are we to believe? Unfortunately, because he's the God of this world, because he's the God who gives man instant gratification, we choose to believe the lies of the enemy more often than not. For instance, consider what God says in his word and compare it to what we learned earlier, earlier is culture's epistemology, what they consider truth to be. And, and let me just say this at the outset. I'm not trying to be clever or mean. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Again, I hate that there are people that I love that will no longer uh, be in relationship with me because I've chosen to stand on the truth of God's word. But that is what you should expect as a follower of Christ. We stand on truth first and let the chips fall where they may, okay? I'm, sip, I'm simply pointing out what God has said in his word and then all of us have to choose whether or not we're gonna believe God. That's re, it's really that simple. So let's look at this. First, God created the earth and all creatures and he called them complete and good, did he not? After every day, he said, it is complete and it is good. But what does Satan say? What does the enemy say? Is it complete and good? Is it really? Isn't it unfinished? Didn't it have to evolve for millions of years? God said it was finished. Evolution says, no, no, it was incomplete. It was lacking. 
God says it was lacking for nothing. It was good, okay? God also created mankind, man and woman, in his image. The enemy says, is there actually a difference between male and female? Isn't gender just fluid, like you can choose what gender you want to be? Sexuality isn't really a preference, is it? They're born that way, right? Aren't they? That's what the enemy says. God gave them a purpose. They had freedom and they had limited sovereignty. He gave us a piece of his sovereignty and free will within which we make decisions and we create art and all of those beautiful things. He gave us the ability to be stewards, okay, and to worship God in freedom. But the enemy says, wouldn't it be better to sacrifice your freedom for safety and security now? Wouldn't it be more selfless to work toward the needs of the many over the needs of the few? That sounds right, doesn't it? To work toward the needs of the many over the needs of the few. And let me say this, in the context of the body of Christ, that's exactly right. But in the context of the world without God, it's absolutely wrong. Do you understand? Wouldn't the world be better if we could all just be at peace, all be one, no war, no one hates one another, no one is oppressed? Shouldn't we just let go of anything that divides us? Is it really worth it? Can't we just strive toward unity? After all, we created God, didn't we? Isn't God just kind of a crutch for mankind? We don't really need God anymore. Look at what we've accomplished. And of course, you know, those who aren't able to change their thinking, we can nudge them, nudge them towards our way of thinking through passing of laws. And, and then ultimately, if they don't accept it, then, you know, we'll, we'll figure out a way to remove them from the equation. Don't act like it's never happened in human history. It's absolutely happened, and it will happen again. God instituted the first marriage covenant between one male and one female and God. And we say love is love, right? Who are we to tell someone that they can't love someone else? Man and man, woman and woman, brother and sister, mother and son, mother and daughter, right? They're two consenting adults. They can choose, right? They can choose who they love in that capacity. And you're saying, well, Pastor Mike, you're just kind of being silly now. Man and machine, man and dog, where does it end? You think I'm being silly? Go to that next slide for me. Yeah, Oklahoma mom who married her son, then her daughter headed to prison for incest. Go to that next slide for me. Man asked judge to expand gay marriage lawsuit to include marriage to animals and computers. Okay, go on, move on, move along. All right. So what I'm saying here is I'm not making this stuff up. This is the path of depravity in the human race. And if you read Romans chapter 1, you will see the the path of man when they give themselves over to a depraved mind. We're seeing it unfold in our society today. Um, He gave them an incredible gift in the form of procreation. Together, man and wife conceive children. And there's a total disregard and lack of personal responsibility when it comes to human sexuality in the world today. 
It's pretty much just do whatever you want to do, and then we can deal with the consequences later, right? And, and they say things, the enemy's voice whispers in these questions, you're, you're too young to have a baby, aren't you? The baby's going to ruin your life, won't it? Keep you from doing what you want to do. Like, you've got so much greatness ahead of you. Do what you want to do. You don't want to be punished with a baby, right? It's your body. It's your rights. That's, that's, the, that's the world's truth. And if we're not careful, we will deny what God has said. And we will adopt what the world has said. Now, let me say something to you. I'm in no way being hateful. I would take the shirt off of my back and give it to anyone of any of the persuasions that I've talked about, in any situation that I've talked about. I've been broken and cried with those who have had abortions because they felt like they had no other option. We're not here to beat up people. We're not here to hate people. Absolutely not. I'll be the first to tell you to hit the door if you're showing hatred and, you know, towards anybody. But, but our, our purpose is to point to the truth of God's word and to show them that there is life in the light and that if they choose to walk in darkness, the end is destruction. That's what God's word says. And, and, and folks, that's the purpose of the church. That is our whole purpose. So if we start acting like the world and blend into the world and, and do what the world says and become like the world, then there's no point to any of it. There's no point to the church. Except just get, it's like a country club. It's like a a hangout, right? Well, God created and instituted the body of Christ to spread the gospel and to be truth in a world full of deception and to be light in the darkness. So what you and I need to do as the body of Christ is steal our spine and stand up tall and roll with the punches because they're going to come when you stand for truth. Not in a hateful way but because we love people. Understand that being deceived is one thing, but knowing what God says and then choosing to walk in the deception, the Bible calls that rebellion, just flat out rebellion. And we see this humanistic mindset over and over in our day and time. You see it in Babel, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up here pretty soon, but I wanna lay a few more things out for you here. Genesis chapter 11 verses one through four, we saw this spirit, the birth of it at, at Babel, the Tower of Babel. And then later you have Babylon. You see this spirit all throughout and you see it in Revelation as well. Verse one, now the whole earth, chapter 11, verse one. Now the whole earth used to be the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord said, this is verse 6, The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. God's saying when man comes together with one purpose, that there's nothing we can't do. We put someone on the moon. Eventually, we could put someone on Mars. We can do whatever we wish to do. God has actually said that plainly. Nothing they, they purpose to do will be impossible. Verse 7, come, 
Let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Their, Their purpose was unity, but at what cost? It was man's arrogance leading them toward globalism and their glory without God being in the mix. Goodness without God is impossible. Goodness without God is impossible. It's in vain, but it is the the default setting of human beings. It's our default setting. Even after we've known, uh, we've, we've accepted Christ, our default setting is still to try to fix things on our own instead of allowing God to do the fixing. So get this, it wasn't time yet. God had a master plan. And so what he did is he gave him a Rubik's Cube and said, here, figure that out while the time passes that needs to pass. So he created these new barriers, okay? Um, he he um, spread them out to new lands across the map, gave them new ethnicities, and new languages so they could no longer come together and work as one. You understand? There was a purpose behind his separation and his creation of the different ethnicities and, and spreading them across the globe. Those barriers, almost every one, are practically gone now. We don't have a language barrier because we have interpreters and we have technology that can interpret for us. Okay? What do you think humanity will revert to now that those barriers are removed? They're going to go back to the spirit of the age, the mindset of the beast, the heart of Babel. That's where humanity will head. It's important to understand the spirit behind the heart of Babel, the influence of Satan appealing to the need for instant gratification for mankind. They wanted to elevate themselves above God. And if we're honest, sometimes so do we. They want to make a name for themselves. And if we're honest, don't we? Sometimes we like the attention, don't we? The proper approach to our existence is this, and it's so important, that God is all-powerful. He is transcendent. He is infinitely higher than you and I. Do you understand? That's so important to understand. He is God. There is no other, and there is no one like Him. And in humanity, you and I, we were depraved. Not one single righteous person has ever existed with the exception of the God-man who paid the penalty for our sin. And we can only be okay through Him. Without Him, we're all on the same boat and that boat is sinking. Humanity is sinking. Humanity is bent towards destruction. We are the hopeless. We have no other way to save ourselves except through the finished work, the atoning blood of Christ Jesus. There's absolutely no place for us to elevate ourselves at all in in the grand scheme of things. You do not have a leg to stand on, period, okay? Um, God gave us freedom for our benefit, all of it for our benefit. And and it starts in the home. And this is what this is a really important thing that I want to say to all of you guys with, with kids and those of you guys who in the next several years will have children. The family, marriage, children, all of this was created for our benefit, but it all begins in the home. And that is your first priority. As a mother, as a father, 
You have to understand the times in which you live so that you will not raise your children in a way that you will lose them to the enemy or to culture. Do whatever you have to do. Make whatever sacrifices you have to make as a parent to keep your children from falling into the lies of this age. Okay? It's not an easy thing to do. Keep them out of the clutches of the enemy. I cannot tell you how many heartbroken parents I've sat with and cried with over the last several years, 15 to 20 years, who have lost their children. Okay? Some of their children disown them as parents. Some of them went to prison because of all different kinds of things. Some of them actually lost their kids into a cult. Some of their children died because of the decisions they had made in in their addiction to drugs or into their decision to get involved in crime. Your ministry is your home first. That was God's design, the family. That was God's design. And from the family to the community, to the church, and then to the nations. But it always flows through your family first. It always flows through your, your family. And then you bring your healthy families to this church, and we're a healthy church. And then this healthy church goes out into the community, and we're a healthy community. Right? We can, we can be salt and light because we are healthy, and we've got our spiritual priorities set. Here's something that you don't hear preached very often, and I'm, I'm about to close it down here, so uh, give me just a few more minutes. God also established the nations. God established the nations. All right? Nations were instituted by God, as we read at the Tower of Babel, when he spread them and gave them different languages. And then later, he set the borders and the peoples and created nations. That was in his sovereignty. He did that. And although imperfect, through those nations, justice would be brought to mankind against anyone wishing to do harm or steal or evil against the innocent, against the people who were trying to live righteously. That's the purpose of the nations. That's the importance of making sure the people that we elect are, are at least understand their place in, in God's realm in order so that they can lead in righteousness and not in unrighteousness. I, I am afraid that that's really, really difficult for us to find leadership often who embody those, those um, qualities we would like to see in our leadership. And sometimes we have to take what we can get, okay? I'm not speaking of anybody in, in particular. So um, also, uh, the Bible says that the nations will exist in the end. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation, it uses the word ethnus, phylon, leon, and glosson, will be saved confessing the lordship of the Lamb. And what that means is, literally translated in uh, the text, is nation or ethnic group, tribes or kindreds, peoples or crowds, languages, and tongues. Okay, so God's design is for there to be separations in the nations, peoples and tribes. And we see that in Revelation forever. There's still going to be people who speak in their own tongue. My guess is that they speak in their tongue and we will hear and understand what they're saying. Okay, pretty incredible when you think about it. Um, so that's important to understand. And so because as we see things unfolding now... Um, we see that um, 
even in Revelation 22, it says that there's a tree of life in heaven and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. That's Revelation 22. So we see that the nations still exist in eternity and they were God's plan. Any attempt at globalism, listen to me, any attempt at breaking down the nations and becoming one globe, one earth, is satanic in its nature. That's all there is to it. It's the very spirit of Babel. And it happens when man is drunk on the lies of the enemy. Believing that by our own humanistic efforts, we can accomplish the eternal state ourselves. And I'm going to show you over the next few weeks some of the new technology that they are working on right now. It's not, it's not sci-fi. It's not Star Trek. They're trying to figure out how to download the human soul into a computer. They are, trying to, they are figuring out how to use what is called CRISPR in order to uh, lengthen a, a human life to a thousand years of age. Okay? They are using, uh, figuring out how to use computers and integrating it with the human body and to continue uh, with AI and all of those things. We're going to get into all of that, okay? So it's going to be very interesting. Things that you are not used to hearing necessarily at church, but I think it's extremely important for us to know, especially now. But here's the thing. With humanistic means, we try to fix ourselves, even in the body of Christ. Self-help books... Pastors who act more like life coaches than they do preaching and teaching the Word of God. Pastors who use psychology instead of the Word of God, okay? Um, there's been this trend in the last 10 years of using things like um, personality tests to let us know how we're, the areas in which we're weak, how we can better ourselves, okay? And, and that's just the law. That's, if, when you look at a piece of paper that says, here's where you fail, that's the same thing the law does. When you look at the law, you realize I'm not righteous, okay? It's, it's any attempt to do that to fix yourselves is pointless because it doesn't rest on God's love and God's power. The Spirit of God will change you. That's on Him, not you and your own effort. That's legalism. Whether you're looking at the Ten Commandments or you're looking at an Enneagram or you're looking at a personality test, whatever the case may be, it's still the law. Our reliance individually and corporately to fix ourselves should always be set firmly upon the shoulders of the God who created all things and never in mankind. To rely on mankind is error. Because man alone simply does not have the capability to be righteous. We just can't do it. No matter how much power we attain, no matter how many cool gadgets and gizmos we, we invent and create to fly through outer space, man does not have the capacity to be righteous without God. That's all there is to it. Power always corrupts. It's just a matter of time. So here's the deal for the church. If you are taking point, a part in pointing anyone to redemption in any other way other than the means of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, I'm talking about social justice, I'm talking about all these things that are so trendy, right, right now, any attempt to point in any other direction at, at community or fixing things that does not include the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cruel cross for our personal sin, then you're just, you're sending them down the road to hell. 
That's what you're doing. You're giving them a false truth and false hope, and you're sending them in a direction that will, in actuality, bring about destruction and harm and not what God designed us to have, which is to spend eternity to Him. And that's why the church must stand and understand our depravity. That's why the church must understand our enemy. And that's why the church has to understand the times in which we live. Quickly, I want to read something that Jesus wrote, or I'm said in Matthew 16.1. Matthew 16.1. Matthew 16.1 says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up And testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? Do you not understand the day that you're living in? Do you not understand that salvation is here right now, that you're staring at the Messiah that you've been waiting for for all of these years? If they had understood what God was doing in their day and time, they would not have missed the Messiah. They would not have murdered the Messiah if they had understood the times in which they were living. But they were focused on man's solutions instead of God's solution, and they missed him. Just like those Pharisees, we would be wise to understand the times in which we live. That everything we've seen happen in the past, the the events unfolding around us today, and everything that we will see happening in the near future as time will change in the next 10 years in unimaginable ways. Buckle up. Each one of those will connect us to one of the agendas, the plan of Satan the plan of men, or, as I said, we, we need to understand that all of our plans are the best laid plans of mice and men. Ultimately, the plan of God will rule and reign. That's why we have to keep our eyes on Him. That's why we have to keep our nose in the Word of God. No matter what happens personally, politically, hint, Tuesday, wink, wink, no matter what happens on Tuesday, God is sovereign. Do not fall into despair either way. All right? Understand that your purpose here as a follower of Jesus Christ is to represent him and to to spread the gospel and to do what he's called us to do. And the person in the White House, in the grand scheme of things, makes very little difference. All that being said, pray for our country. All right? Continue to pray. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk in depth about many of these things I'm going to list, and I'm going to close with this. Prophecy concerning Israel and the Gentiles. It's very important to understand the difference. Nations rising against nations. Interesting to note that word ethnos means uh, nation, in that nation rising against nation means ethnicity rising against ethnicity. International politics and the march toward the Great Reset. By the way, if anybody finds Time Magazine, they just released an entire magazine dedicated to the Great Reset. And if you find it, buy it and uh, give it to me and I'll, and I'll uh, pay. I couldn't find one. But, I, but it'd be good if you guys can find them to, to just kind of thumb through that because it's exactly what we're talking about. The march toward globalism and they want it to begin with something they call the Great Reset. The economy and the push towards one, a one world currency. 
where all of us are using the same currency all over the world. Major breakthroughs, as I mentioned, in technology, AI, and in the medical field. As man is seeking for ways to prolong his life, and again, like I said, his soul. Recent, um, the recent government release of uh, regarding aliens and interdimensional beings. I mean, all of my life, this has been top secret stuff, and now, for some reason, the government's releasing video of these uh, uh, pilots who are seeing these strange phenomenon uh, happening all over the place, okay? So there's, there's a reason why this is happening, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, so you can roll your eyes, that's okay, I don't blame you, uh, but we're going to talk about that later on. Just come listen, okay? There's spirituality and new age, how prevalent it's becoming, deception and false doctrine within the church. Y'all, the Bible's been tossed out, and we've got our own gospel, and many, many churches in this country are just, you know, walking to the beat of their own drum. They left the Bible uh, in, in, in the uh, dustbin of history, okay? Um, the green movement, worshiping the creation instead of the creator, using that for a means of global restructuring and economic restructuring, the one world religion, and then this one's pretty big, natural disasters and changes in our ecosystem and climate. Let me just say this before the modern scientists started calling something global warming and climate change. God said the earth will wear out like a garment. God said that there would be things that would happen that toward the end of days, people would faint for fear because things were happening within the earth. That's all coming, okay? And we need to understand that. And there's so much to tell you regarding all of this stuff, and I'm excited to do so. So please make plans to join us again. At the very least, make plans to join us online. And, uh, and uh, let's, let's study this together. I think we'll be better for it and will be a closer-knit family because of it, because we understand the world around us and God's call in our life and for the church. Let's pray.